So I don't know how many of you have been watching uh, much TV recently, but if you have been watching TV, you'll know it's Christmas ad season. Uh, and there's some real crackers out there. Yeah. <laughs> I, actually, I actually wrote that totally unintentionally. And I was reading out to Ruth practicing, and I realized this just comes naturally. <laughs> Uh, there's Waitrose, there's M&S, there's Asda, there's Amazon, there's Sainsbury's, Little, Aldi, Barber, Morrison's, and of course, John Lewis. Now, I have to say, I've got a little bit of a love-hate relationship with the John Lewis advert. Normally, I end up in total bewilderment that it made anywhere beyond the writing room floor, or in tears, because it was so special and emotional. <laughs> but actually, thinking about it this year, I had a third reaction. If you haven't watched it, watch it. Now, I don't want to give away too much, but it features a cute little boy, a family, and a Venus flytrap. And my reaction was total bewilderment. It was so ridiculous. And I was in tears. It was so cute and caring. <laughs> Anyhow, one of my top ever Christmas adverts was actually a few years ago now, and it included the voice of Gabrielle Aplin singing The Power of Love and I was in bits. My face was red and blotchy uh, watching this for the first time, the second time, the third time, the fourth time, and the fifth time. Some of the lyrics of this uh, song that goes with, went with this advert uh, go like this. The power of love, a force from above, cleaning my soul. Flame on burn desire, love with tongues of fire, purge the soul. Make love your goal. Make love your goal. And that's a good thing, isn't it? Love is good. What is it people say? kind of love wins maybe, love is a good goal. In fact, it's such a good and important goal that Ruth and I, when we were newly married and uh, totally and utterly in love, which just to be clear, we still are, uh, <laughs> we had that amazing verse engraved into both our wedding rings, love never fails. We've been thinking about love a lot over the last few Sundays. And today we're thinking about the statement, love never fails fails, and a few other characteristics of love that come before this. So if you turn to 1 Corinthians 13, go your phones, your Bibles with you, uh, we're in 1 Corinthians 13, and we're reading the verses that go like this. Love always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. So here are some of the characteristics that love is. Love is something that always protects, always trusts, always hopes, and always perseveres. And they're all good things. In film, often, maybe not always, but often, the protagonist protects their partner. The lovers trust one another. The captured person has real hope they'll be rescued by their hero. And the couple, in the face of real difficulty, persevere through all odds. And if you tr trust most such films, love never fails. The partner is always protected by the protagonist. The lovers always trust each other in the end. The captured person is ultimately, their hope is realized and they're rescued. The couple in the face of real difficulty do make it through whatever they faced. Love always leads to rescue, redemption, and a good old happy ending. So does the Bible teach the same thing? Does love always win? Does love never fail? Were Ruth and I right to get uh, this verse inscribed on our wedding rings as a sign of our undying love for one another? But we'll come back to that later. 
But first, what does it mean for love to always protect, always trust, always hope, and always persevere? Uh, Before we look at each one, it seems likely that these four facets or characteristics of love were intended to work in pairs. The first one and the last one and the middle two. So protects goes with perseveres and trusts goes with hopes. I wonder if you're able to work out what links these two. So protects and perseveres uh, are present day facets of love. While trust and hope are future oriented facets of love. And before we look at each word, uh, Thistleton suggests that the most helpful way to read these is maybe by using four negatives. So love never tires of support. Love never loses faith. Love never exhausts hope. Love never gives up. So what does Paul actually mean? What do we think Paul actually means by protect and persevere? Firstly, protect. Love always protects. Love never tires of support, as Thistleton says. What could this mean? So, so if you go to some of the dictionaries that look up this word, uh, the uh, kind of word that we used as it was written, uh, it suggests, some suggestions mean this word could mean to deck, to thatch, to cover, to keep secret or to hide or conceal, or by covering something to keep off something which threatens, uh, to bear up against it. Now, in Scripture, this word isn't actually used very widely, but two verses that are often linked are 1 Corinthians 9.12 and 1 Thessalonians 3, uh, where it essentially means uh, put up with anything, or when you could stand it no longer. While the IVP commentary suggests uh, that others believe the same sense, not the same word, but the same sense of the word is given by 1 Peter 4.8, In James 5.20, where they say, love covers over a multitude of sins instead of exposing them or blazing them abroad. So the meaning of this word, uh, when I was reflecting on it, really reminds me of Psalm 17. Hide me in the shadow of your wings from the wicked who are out to destroy me, from my mortal enemies who surround me. Now, it's been so cold the last few days, and sometimes I drive home in the evening, I unload all the stuff I've got in the car, and all I want to do is be hidden from the biting cold. And so I throw on a nice warm blanket over me, and it makes me feel really warm and really safe. And as I pondered these thoughts, it really struck me. I know of someone who put up with anything when I would have been able to stand it no longer, and who did so by covering us over covering over a multitude of sins, protecting us from all that would otherwise destroy us. But how about love always perseveres? Love never tires of support. It's been a little bit covered in that word protect, maybe. But love is something that abides. It doesn't flee or recede. The word is suggested to mean it's something that endures. Under misfortunes and trials, it holds fast for example, to one's faith in Christ. Of this facet, love perseveres. Deleuze wrote, like Christ on the cross, love endures or perseveres through scorn, failure, ingratitude. And at the end shines out the light of Easter for love never ends. Uh, Jean Pern Rosner wrote, It is never a mistake to replicate the love of Jesus Christ in our relationships with those around us, since it is that love and those loving actions which have eternal significance. 
and whose influence and benefits will reach into eternity after all else has melted away and failed to endure the final transition to the ultimate manifestation of the kingdom of God. And so love always protects, love always perseveres, is a facet of love that we can hold on to, that we can seek after, and we can look to Christ as the perfect model of. Jesus covers over us, and Jesus endured, so we could be covered over and protected. We can look to Jesus. If he wants to do these things, we look to Jesus. And then there's also the always hopes and always trusts pairing. Love always trusts, or love never loses faith to start off with. Rosner again wrote that Paul is not meaning that we should always be trusting those around us who are often not worthy of such trust, but means about trusting the one who calls us to love others and living out that love for others as a reflection of our trust in him. So this means we are called to trust in him who is worthy of it all and therefore love others, even those we might think unlovable. But if God is love, and love always trusts, that leaves us with a question, does that mean God trusts us? Yes, I think the answer to you, I think God does trust us. We might be prone to mess up, to make mistakes, but we have the Holy Spirit in us. God trusts us, not because of who we are on our own, but because we are sealed by his Spirit, and through him we are worthy. Now, that doesn't mean he trusts us to do everything. I mean, I trust my electrician to fix my electrics. But if it were to come to redecorating the house, I'd be less prone to trust him. And it doesn't mean we don't uh, ask for help either. A hospital will likely, or at least hopefully, only appoint a junior doctor if they're trustworthy. But that doesn't mean they don't expect the junior doctor to ever ask questions or to seek help. God trusts us, but he doesn't leave us alone. Love always trusts, and God trusts us as we trust in him. And as we trust in him, we need to ensure we love as a reflection of this trust we have in him and he has in us. It's this trust that enables love, and love enables this trust. And then love always hopes. Love never gives up. Siampa and Rosner wrote about this, that this is not about hoping for the best in those around us, is about maintaining the hope set before us by the one to whom we've entrusted our lives and our futures. And being empowered by that eschatological, that big eschatological hope for our future to take the risk of loving those around us in the present. Love always hopes, even against probabilities. Colossians 1 says, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you the hope of glory. Our hope is Christ, and Christ is our hope of glory. Our hope for what will come in the future that majorly impacts us in the present. Love always hopes. Love is driven by that hope of glory provided by Christ in me, Christ in you. In saying love always trusts and hopes, V suggests Paul does not mean that love always believes the best about everything or everyone, but that love never ceases to trust God and thus leave justice in God's hands. It is in this sense that it never loses hope, that God's justice in the context of God's goodness will yet prevail where there's human fallenness 
even grotesque fallenness. This is why it can endure. So, these are the details of these facets or these characteristics of love. Love always protects, love always trusts, love always hopes, love always perseveres. But why are these future and past pairings, future and present pairings paired together too? Fee suggests the present and future pairings of these uh, facets of love are intended to show love has a tenacity in the present, buoyed by its absolute confidence in the future. Love has a tenacity in the present, buoyed by its absolute confidence in the future. That enables one to live in every kind of circumstance and continually pour oneself out on behalf of others. The present and future characteristics of love are inextricably linked, empowering and impacting one another. So imagine, just imagine, you and a couple of friends are at the start of an obstacle course, maybe a tough mudder or something like that, and ahead of you lies icy water, slippy, dirty mud, snow, a few walls to climb, maybe a bit of fire, and more. And at the end of the course lies a reward better than you could ever imagine, an experience for you and all your friends to enjoy together. But you want to enjoy it with everyone. How amazing would it be to experience that when everyone you're racing with gets through the course? What would that mean? It would mean you would run the race with those alongside you, cheering them on, helping them. You would have tenacity in the present, persevering and protecting one another, whilst you trust and hope in what is to come. I think that's just maybe a little bit like what Paul's describing here. Love will persevere and protect because it's empowered by the true hope and trust in what is to come. But love never fails comes after this. Love never fails. Is that not maybe a little bit extreme? We will sadly all have seen uh, or experienced examples of love apparently not working. Relationships that started head over heels in love, failing. Friendships where we'd have given everything our friend still breaking apart. Times where no matter how much you loved someone, you just couldn't rescue them, save them, where love wouldn't heal. Is it not a bit naive to say love never fails? So let's go back to that power of love song where we're exhorted to make love our goal, make love your goal. Often, uh, Christians, agnostics, sometimes even atheists, argue God is love. But C.S. Lewis points out that often, when we say God is love, really what culture is saying is not make love your goal, but make love your God. Not God is love, but love is God. And the problem is, when we make love of God, when we make our love uh, of God rather than our goal, when, we, when culture makes love its God, it does two things. When culture makes love its God, it misses out on what love really is. And therefore, this incomplete, naive, actually incorrect understanding of love will inevitably wax and wane as we seek after an ever-changing definition of what love is based on our changing whims. C.S. Lewis goes on to say, often when people say God is love, but mean love is God, they're really saying that our feelings of love, however, and wherever they arise, 
and whatever they produce, whatever results they produce, are to be treated with great respect. I think ultimately, this really means love isn't our God, but we are. We create God in our own image. Our feelings, our desires, our lusts, our fallenness start to define what we live for. And this changes. We always want more. We never have enough. It's not self-giving, but it's self-seeking. So often we can be led by our heart, and our heart deceives us. In Jeremiah we read, even our heart is deceitful above all things. And so if we make love our God, of course it fails. It fails because we fail. We make mistakes, we mess up. And we're incapable of rescuing ourselves. We might try, but we can never fully do it. Now, I don't want to heap misery on us all, not at all, but I know if I make love my God, uh, the verses we've been thinking about over the last few weeks would go a little bit like this. Isaac can be impatient. Isaac is often unkind. Isaac definitely envies. Isaac has a tendency to boast if he thinks he can get away with it. Isaac is proud. Isaac just can't help dishonoring others. Isaac is more than just a little bit self-seeking. Isaac is at least sometimes easily angered. Isaac definitely keeps scores of the ways he's been wronged. Even when he tries not to, Isaac can delight in evil but rejoice in the lies to protect himself. Isaac protects if it's convenient for him. Isaac struggles to trust. Isaac often feels hopeless. Isaac can just feel like giving up. Isaac is bound to fail. But if we say God is love, then love is defined. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Dynamic and relational, yes, but unceasing, abounding, consistent. Something and someone worth trusting in and hoping in. This is a God who shows us what love is, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Now, whenever I'm speaking, I need to have something physical uh, and often edible uh, to illustrate what I mean. Uh, so when we say God is love, uh, but mean love is God, we do something a little bit like this. You know what I fancy? I fancy a Mars bar. I'd really love a Mars bar. So a Mars bar must be love. Then the next moment, oh, you know what? I could really go a packet of Maltesers. I'd love a packet of Maltesers. Suddenly Maltesers are love. Then, oh, you know what? I could really go a packet of fruit pastels, a whole packet in five minutes. Fruit pastels are then love. And if I asked all of you now, we'd all pick different things. We'd have more than just three different kinds of sweets. Love is just what we fancy when we fancy it. And as you know, Mars bars, Maltesers, and fruit pastels, they're not actually that good for you. That's why I often use them in sermon illustrations. I figure if they've been used for his glory, they're more calorie-free. <laughs> But the problem is, fruit pastels are good, maybe, some of the time. Maltesers are good, maybe, some of the time. Mars bars are good, some of the time. But the thing everyone really, really needs, 
the thing that really defines love, as we're reminded at Christmas every single year, is a chocolate orange. <laughs> Self-sacrificially given every year. All those other things pale in comparison to a chocolate orange. Only a chocolate orange could ever truly satisfy our guts' cravings. It's a chocolate orange that we really should be aiming for. It's the only thing that will ever truly satisfy our Christmas gut. And thus, when we say God is love, we have to make sure we are not saying love is God, make love your God. Picking and choosing between whatever emotion, good or bad at any given time we fancy, leading us to all manner of rubbish, ultimately unsatisfactory outcomes. But rather we need to say, make love your goal. Just as 1 Corinthians 14 starts, let love be your highest goal. Just as our gut is only ever truly going to be satisfied by making the chocolate orange our goal, our soul will only ever be truly satisfied if we make love our goal. Let love be your highest goal. Let's aim for Christ-likeness. That is how we might best be love as we seek to be here at St. Mungo's. When love is our God, we seek to define who God is by our changing whims. We make God on our own image, our heart and our feelings lead us, and we fail, it never lasts, it's never really what we need. When love is our goal, God defines what love is, and we strive towards it, and this love never fails. Think about it, God is love. And if God is love, we can declare Jesus is patient. Jesus is kind. Jesus does not envy. Jesus does not boast. Jesus is not proud. Jesus does not dishonor others. Jesus is not self-seeking. Jesus is not easily angered. Jesus keeps no record of wrongs. Jesus does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. And as we explored earlier on this evening, we can say Jesus always protects. Jesus always trusts. Jesus always hopes. Jesus always perseveres. Jesus never fails. This is what we strive towards. And C.S. Lewis says, every Christian is to become a little Christ. And when we trust in him, when we say, God is love, and I trust in him, we say we love, because he first loved us. Then we are sealed by his spirit. And as we're sealed by his spirit, we sing, Christ in me, Christ in me. Christ in me, the hope of glory. And as we do so, we're sealed. We're sealed by his spirit. And we declare Christ in me. And as we do so, God makes us into little Christs. Who through his fruit and his gifts can declare, I know I can declare, ultimately, in him and in him alone, Isaac is patient. Isaac is kind. Isaac does not envy. Isaac does not boast. Isaac is not proud. Isaac does not discern others. Isaac is not self-seeking. Isaac is not easily angered. Isaac keeps no record of wrongs. Isaac does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. Isaac always protects. Isaac always trusts. Isaac always hopes. Isaac always perseveres. And all this because I declare and I believe Jesus never fails. So back to the wedding ring. 
where Ruth, where Ruth and I declare to one another, love never fails. Were we right to get this inscription? Emphatically, yes. But not because of some pie-in-the-sky ideal that believes Ruth and I will always like each other, that we'll never argue, that we won't fall out over who should have planned dinner or done the ironing. Ruth and I chose to have these words because we know we can only love because he first loved us, because we want to make love our goal, because we believe in the power of love, the power of God, because in all we do, we know the best we can do for one another is to seek him first. Not to allow love to be our God, but to say God is love. So whilst our wedding rings for us are a sign of commitment and it's very romantic, really, that message could have been inscribed on any ring, wedding or not. We just wanted our ones, our wedding rings, to point to our higher calling, to remind us that as we came to our father, who ran to us with arms wide open, it's he who put the ring on our finger. It's him who gave us that sign, him who gave us that signet ring, the seal we're given, the signet ring on our finger, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit given to us that assures us love never fails. The Holy Spirit through whom God assures us of his promise that my love never fails. So if you were to have a signet ring, it would be below the crest of the cross. We'd have a motto of love never fails. Knowing we love because he first loved us. Whatever else may come and go, whatever may pass away, God is love and love never fails. Our identity is found in that love that never fails. We are children of God. A God who shows us what love is that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us.